There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Long fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Good afternoon, morning, evening, whatever time you are listening to this champions and championesses as we are bringing you finally our together production of the Platinum Sombrero World Series Champions Edition brought to you by Sports Drink and our friends at Symbol. We've talked about them a few times. You guys are going to love them. They're pretty much brand new. It's a stock market for sports. allows you to profit off of your sports knowledge. On Symbol, you can trade sports teams just like stocks, and every time your team wins, you earn cash. Things are more expensive now. Put more cash in your pocket. Use your sports knowledge on Symbol to buy low, sell high, and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Join the 7,000-plus early adopters who have started to invest in their favorite teams. Go to www.simbull.com to create a free account, and when you deposit, use the promo code SD to make your deposit risk-free. It's great, and it rhymes, which is just really good writing by whoever wrote this read. Visit www.symbol.com, use the promo code SD, and your deposit is risk-free. That means even if you lose the money, Symbol's going to refund your initial deposit. No questions asked. Join today and start investing and profiting from your favorite teams. We are also brought to you, as always, by Spotify Greenroom, the live audio-only sports talk platform that is taking over the nation. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, maybe some of the guys from Chatting Average if they ever feel like, you know, doing fan service like we do. Get in on the conversations that you listen to every single day. Share your own experiences and takes on the app, and you get a chance to be featured on your favorite podcast on the network. Download the Spotify Greenroom app for free in the iOS or Android app store. Create a profile, link your Twitter, and join your favorite group. You can follow me, at Short. Uh, if we can ever get Doc to do it, it'll be even better. And we'll go live on Spotify Greenrooms at random points throughout the offseason. I'm going to try to hammer that a pretty good amount this offseason just to keep the Braves talk alive and well because we got a lot to talk about, don't we, Mr. Herbert? Mr. Short, I do believe that is correct. We are the world champions, which means all of the trash talk for all of the days, for at least 365 of them, are coming 
from Braves country and for the rest of the baseball world and the rest of the baseball Twitter sphere, y'all are in for some punishment because there's nobody that has polished up their trash talking quite as much as Braves fans have. If you need any evidence of that, just go look at some Cardinals troll posts talking about how they won their gold gloves and about the World Series uh, trophy being a piece of metal. Have fun with that. It is a deep, deep dive you can do. But the reason why that happens is because the Braves finally broke the Atlanta sports curse. Now that it's broken, we can all say it's a curse. It was a curse, and the Braves went through and shattered it by walking through two of the biggest the biggest obstacles of their postseason careers. I wasn't sure I wanted to put the Astros in that realm, but in the early 2000s, the Astros were one of those teams that just seemed to knock the Braves out of the postseason every year. And then, of course, you've got what's happened with the Dodgers. We've been the Dodgers' little brother forever, but not this year. The Braves go through, take care of business against the Brewers, take care care of even more business and slay a legend in the Dodgers and then go through and really had an easier World Series than they had an NLCS, which I kind of figured would happen as the Braves win it in six off of the backs of the World Series MVP, Jorge Soler. Who could have suggested that the Braves would win in six and that Jorge Soler would be your team MVP? Huh. I don't know. You know, I seem to remember you also said that Ian Anderson would have the best start out of any pitcher, and results-wise, uh, that was uh, that was the case. Uh, Freed's was more impactful. Uh, Anderson had the advantage of pitching poorly and getting good results, as opposed to Freed, who pitched very well and also got really, really good results. But yeah, you we're going to talk about call that, it. by the way. Uh, now, I'll, I'll be honest, Freed's was better. Uh, I, I get the national writers had to have their little talking point, you took out somebody in the middle of a no-hitter! As if the Braves should just be more worried about Ian Anderson getting a no-hitter versus, you know, winning a World Series for the first time in 22 years, or 25 years. Um, but, you know, national people, national writers, I'm convinced, are, like, when, when they have to write about single teams instead of the league as a whole, they're garbage. Pretty much every single one of them. With a couple of exceptions. Uh, like, Passan had a really good piece on the Braves World Series team. I wish he would have put that out first instead of some of the other garbage takes he was putting out there. And I know I don't want to come after the assassin. He's generally one of the smartest baseball minds around. Missed the mark some of that, but a lot of guys were. Ken Rosenthal, another one. A lot of these national guys, when they're forced to have to write about single teams, they don't do a good job because they don't watch those teams at the same depth that we do. We watch the Braves every single day, night in and night out. So to us, it wasn't an 88-win team just conquering everybody. They were two significantly different teams. And that's what Passan put out in his second piece, in the second article, which is why I wish he just hadn't done the first one and had just done the After the World Series one. Uh, probably would have been, and I wouldn't have had problems with it. But we get, to, we get to cheer and we get to jeer at all the national guys who, uh, despite their rooting interest, have to proclaim the Atlanta Braves as your World Series champions for 2021. Uh, and and for, for me... I did not have quite the reaction I thought I would. I, I did not cry. I did not... Uh, I, I, I was kind of in disbelief for a little bit, but not a super long time. Uh, I just went through and, and... I think I wasted... I, I lost so much energy from that NLCS. And I, I truly expected the Braves to beat the Astros because I truly just thought the Braves were a better team. That, to me, I wasn't shocked by any of the outcomes. Like I, I was... I was completely expecting the Braves to do what they did. Getting through the Dodgers, I think, kind of wiped me emotionally and <laughs> made me kind of, I don't want to say blasé, because I, I was still pre I was still nervous watching the game, but nowhere near the same level of nervous as I was until the Braves knocked off the Dodgers. I remember 
when you and I were talking either before or after an episode we recorded, I think it was um, right around the Brewer series saying, you know, it's really important that we beat the Dodgers, but I'll, I'll be honest with you. I am terrified by the Houston Astros. And you said, not me. And they just really threw me for a loop because I figured that, that you would have been kind of aligned with me where it's like, okay, now, you know, we talked about how we're stair-stepping every year. And so I'm thinking, okay, we're going to make it to the World Series. But maybe we lose just because Houston's got the requisite experience. And, you know, they've been in the ALCS five straight years. They're they're very, uh, not immune, but they're probably desensitized a little bit to the big moments in playoff baseball and whatnot. And even when it appeared, I don't want to say that, that it was in the bag because it's not like we swept them. But even when I'm looking at moments where it's like, even in game six, you know, we got a 3-2 lead in the series. Solaire hits one to Dallas, and then Swanson hits his, and I'm like, we're up 5 nothing in an elimination game. It's the fifth inning or the sixth inning, and I'm still not fully comfortable by this. And it just it gradually started to, to roll away, and I, I'm like, I, <laughs> <laughs> trying to which, turn which, which, to, it's hard. Yeah, like, which direction do I even go here? Like, the Atlanta fan in me knows the history so well. And and even when you talked about, you know, the, the national writers who, who have to key on certain things, right? Like, it's not their fault that there's only two teams playing, you know? And they, they still have their quota of things that they have to write, but they are... All of a sudden, when they're not writing about the league as a whole, they're drilling down into the Braves, and it's like, oh, well, what can we talk about? We can talk about the sports curse, which is bad. We can talk about the chop, which is bad. We can talk about this thing, which is bad. We can talk, you know, the Braves have a lot of really negative storylines that kind of surround them at any given time. And this year, on top of the, we finally had like a really, really good feel good story, but it was so obvious to us. That's the advantage of overexposure and watching way more baseball than we should that all these other people are saying, Oh, it's just an 88 win team. They don't belong here. They're not going to go anywhere. Well, it's like, okay, yes, we did win 88 games. That is not untrue, but it was a very different roster. Like most people, even though they tried, tried to explain it till they were blue in the face on the broadcast, it doesn't fully encapsulate how many changes this team, this team saw over the course of an entire year. So knowing that it's an 88-win team in the back of my mind, because that's just what the number is, but knowing that they're much better now, and knowing Atlanta's sports history and all that, even when it's like bottom of the ninth, two outs, here's the roller to Dansby, we're up by seven, and I'm like, we are going to screw this up somehow, <laughs> you know, and and came through it, and now it's like a week later, and it still hasn't fully sunk in, and that usual, you know, we went 19 years without winning a playoff series, so you tend to get used to, if you make the playoffs, then your season is over by like October 10th. If it if it didn't end in September, you know, like in the rebuild years and, and a couple of other years that were kind of kind of rough in there. So now the World Series ends and they're announcing the award finalists and they, we got some transactions going on. They're talking about qualifying offers and all this stuff. So we were able to lop three weeks off of the usual off season. So we kind of hit the ground running in terms of how to uh, how to proceed with this team. No resting on the laurels or anything. It's just no matter what. And I, I legitimately wondered, you know, looking at teams like the Cubs and and seeing, you know, generations, multiple generations in some cases, you know, there were people that were Cubs fans that went their entire lives without seeing a World Series title. 
and I did kind of wonder just at one point, like, what if the 95 World Series was the only one? Like, the, the whole time I'm alive, what if that's the only one? And, uh, and now, like, it still hasn't fully, it still hasn't sunk in the fact that no matter what, we'll always, always be able to look back at this year as, like, this really fun story about the, the evolution of a team in real time and never stop tweaking the roster to get the right fit and never stop just never give up that's the biggest thing about it is there are so many teams that should have made it and never did and this this team somehow we joked a million times during the season watch this be the team somehow this awful excuse i remember talking an episode in may saying there are some good players on this team but the team itself as a unit sucks which is hilarious because if not for the guys they got at the trade deadline, they wouldn't have won the World Series because of how much of a team and a unit they became. So this the the movie of the 2021 Braves season is is best picture as far as I'm concerned. And we've talked about it a number of other times about how how just ridiculous this entire season had been and about how this when we were getting closer to the deadline about how this isn't a team that you sell off for. Like you're you're not a bad team, so there's no need to act like you are. Like you're you just need to play better, and it took some key moves there. Um, but I I don't want to just act like you know replacing Abraham Almonte and Kevin Smith were like duh no brainers because I think that does a disservice to them too because they were key to this too. They were key to keeping the Braves in the hunt, even if the Braves were struggling and couldn't get above 500. There were key plays made by these also-ran journeymen who rarely get on Major League rosters. I mean, Kevin Smith, Abraham Almonte, Guillermo Heredia, Ere Adrianza, Pablo Sandoval. All of them played major time for Atlanta this year. Guys that have not played major time for a big league ball club, with the exception of Adrianza, who played quite a bit with Minnesota a year or two ago. Uh, But those guys typically aren't players, aren't starters, or aren't getting any real meaningful playing time for teams the past, what, three or four years? Maybe even more than that. And they came through, and they eventually reverted back to being who they were. But they got the Braves to the point where they could at least keep enough faith to make the purchases, to get the players, to get you to the po- to the postseason, and then get you to the World Series. This, this really was a team that took every single person that played to get to where they got to, with the exception of Nate Jones, who uh, I hope he doesn't get a ring. You know, Nate Jones and Shane Green <clears throat> both wound up in the Dodgers organization before it was all over, and and even even the Dodgers couldn't save them. They so, hurt them uh, from the inside. They sabotaged them from the inside. So maybe they do deserve it, a ring. It was good work. It was really good work. You know, and you you look up and down the roster, and you could say, you know, I, I wish so and so didn't get a ring, but at the same time, like Sean Kazmar. That's an awesome who, story, by the way. Like. Dude, that that of all of the things about this team, that's one of the most heartwarming because that guy agonized. You know, he spent thir- what was it, thirteen or fourteen years? Was it was that the number? Like he spent so much time. Yeah, two thousand eight. Okay, so he spent so much time in the minors, and even you know his contributions at the big league level were not much. But I mean, he did get to break the seal. He came back. He got to. You know, he got to be a part of it. And not just that, but, like, talk about being rewarded for perseverance and never giving up. Like and People so, may hate Johan Camargo. Johan Camargo gets his ring. Yes, he does. And 
no matter who it was, you know, if they put on the, the uniform this year, they earned it. And and God knows, it, there were different points of the season where, and I remember saying on, on an episode, this, the last thing you want is Abraham Almonte getting meaningful playing time. And lo and behold, <laughs> he did. And, yeah. you, and you make the... And you make the good point. Like he was a meaningful contributor. And look, we we banged on Kevin Smith all season. He was not good, but there was no other option for him. None a of the other bit. catchers were good either. <laughs> I mean, Travis really wasn't good either. Yeah, I mean, it, and in that that uh, that little section of the season where Travis was out, and it was in between when Contreras was hitting and when he wasn't. I mean, it was. There were some times when the bottom part of this lineup resembled the 2015 Braves, the 2016 Braves. And I still, I just, I, I can't believe it. And, and we, we recorded high and inside last week. Uh, I did two episodes. You just did the one, but, but uh, you know, one that was, that was the the point that I made was that like next year, and th- this was in the first episode. So, so this will be familiar to you and, and only also to Joel and Doug, but Next year, there's going to come a point when the team is going to struggle. They're going to lose five in a row. They're going to get some type of injury. There's going to be some type of something. And deep down, I mean, we know that we're not supposed to panic in this. It's just that there's we we go to sports for fun and a release and for joy that is that is not work or or the stress of normal life. So when that starts to stress and it gets really tricky. So we know that the baseball is for fun, right? But when your favorite player gets hurt or your team loses five in a row or whatever, it gets, it gets hard to just realize that, Oh yeah, I'm doing this because I'm watching this because I love it. I'm obsessing over this because I love it. But so when it happens next year, I just really want everybody to take a step back and realize that, if there's anything you can take from this 2021 season, it is that patience is the number one thing that you've got to remember about this game. It's a game of failure, no matter what. Like somebody that that only fails two thirds of the time is a legend. You know what I mean? Like if you and if you were failing less than that, then you're like an inner circle Hall of Famer. So you know this entire game is getting knocked down and getting back up and. Just remember this. Don't don't go into the 2022 season saying that, you know, everything is going to be just green world scenario and it's best case from now on. I mean, look, next year is going to be hard, too. And so will the year after that and the year after that. So just never forget the lessons we learned from 2021. Speaking of never forgetting something, this will be a good time to remind you to go to symbol.com, join up and get started. Start making money off of your sports knowledge as well as downloading the Green Room app from Spotify and get in the game with your favorite podcast and fans from around the world. So it's not all sunshine and daisies that we do have to talk about today. We're going to get to free agency here in a second because I think you and I still hold pretty much the same position on Freddie Freeman. We'll get there. But before we do that, I do have to say, um, actually, I don't think I will worry at all next year if the Braves have any rough stretches. I think now that I got the World Series out of the way, I'm expecting it to make me a calmer fan. And we'll see if how that happens. We'll see if that actually happens. Um, but I do expect that. But that question is going to – I might not get a chance to test that hypothesis as early as to be expected as the CBA is now up. And just judging by the way the last two years have gone, if you hadn't paid attention to anything before then, just the 2020 and 2021 seasons would lead you to believe this could be a very, very contentious 
discussion and the possibility of a work stoppage, something that we did not want to talk about until we absolutely had to. Not only is it very possible, I would say it's more likely that there is a significant work stoppage than there's no work stoppage at all. I think there probably will be uh, some type of stoppage. I don't know whether or not it actually affects the schedule. Um, Because you remember in 2016 when this came up last time, it was the negotiations were nowhere near as tense as these are going to be. And it's still took until like within two hours of the deadline. So I think I think there could be a stoppage there, but here here's where I'm optimistic about it, is that in 2020, because of tense negotiations, they couldn't figure out how to make it work. And each side was just playing for itself and not for the good of the game, and they played 37% of the season. So that's not great, but what it tells me is that Owners and players. Owners lost more money than players did just because they had more money to lose. Percentage-wise, I don't really know how to how to compare the two. Players lost 63% of their salary. We know that. I don't know what owners lost. But what I do know is that owners now have a very good picture of, in current dollars, what it means to lose 100 games in a season. And I don't think that if... if 2020 had been a normal season, I don't think that they would be reluctant to just go into this and say, well, we don't care if it stops. But now, I think that they know how impactful this can be to their bottom line. And I really don't think that there's any owner out there that's going to be like, I had so much fun losing a load of money in 2020, I'm going to do it again in 2022. I think that there is a real, real chance that owners and players both look at this and say, we cannot, for the good of the game, we, like, there's, I, I just don't see it being so contentious that it being just one against the other without considering the game of baseball, because nobody that's playing right now was around in 94, 95 to see how hard this hit fans. And there is no guarantee that if they have some type of lockout or significant work stoppage or if they lose games in the 2022 season, a lot of the goodwill that has been done to repair the game since the last time they couldn't get on the same page, you know, it's going to just undo so so much of that. So I think there could be a stoppage. It could affect the season, but I honestly, I'm kind of optimistic because I think I think that they know. I think both sides realize that you can't have two seasons like that out of three, right? I think the part that scares me is really the the increase in social media prevalence since 2016. I think that bringing up 2016 is a fair point. But I think with a lot of the hot-button issues at hand, things like arbitration uh, and, and minor league pay, I don't think these are something that the ownership is just going to roll over on. Uh, even even things like I don't think the DH is anything major. I, I think that both sides actually want it, so that's something that gets traded off. Um, mm-hmm. Things like pl- uh, bigger shares of playoff revenue, or for players tying playoff revenue to just being something other than gate, being a, a total percentage of total revenue rather than a percentage of, of playoff gate revenue. I think that's something that players are going to be sticklers for, and I think this playing out in the open across social media is so prevalent over the last couple of years, particularly with minor league pay. That's why I'm worried. Not necessarily that I'm worried about anything with the big league season per se, like 
Uh, I don't. I don't think that there's going to be a particularly contentious discussion over the DH uh, or over the 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 runner on second and extra innings rule or anything like that. I think the contention is going to come in based off of things like for for big leaguers, it's going to be uh, service time and service time manipulation, and then for for everybody else, it's going to be trying to get minor league pay significantly increased to where a lot of these guys aren't having to sleep eight to a one bedroom hotel room uh, or. or you know, not having like a $30 per diem where you could actually afford a place to, to actually stay and get better without having to have multiple jobs. And frankly, those are things that need to get done. Those are things that should have already been done and it shouldn't have taken having the social media spotlight for those things to come to light. Uh, and I, to be really honest, I think that current major league players, they bear some responsibility for that as well because this isn't the first CBA negotiation. And all of these guys were minor leaguers too. They went through those same exact conditions and they got to the point where they could get broke off, and they just kind of forgot about it and, and didn't look to make that change in any meaningful way. So I do think that's something where everybody needs to be cognizant of that, and I do think that's something that's going to be the most contentious. Now, if you're an ownership, maybe, maybe, and I say maybe because we've seen them be very stupid before, but maybe they finally realize that there's not really a way for them to win the PR battle this year like they tried in 2020 a lot. There's not really a, a way for them to come out of this making the players look bad and themselves look like just normal business people. So maybe that, that gives them the impetus to, to be a little bit more, uh, a little bit more, what's the right word here? A little bit more forgiving in terms of, of their, their discussions and what they're willing to give up. But make no mistake, owners aren't going to want to just give up every bit of control they have. They're not going to want to give up service time uh, manipulation without something meaningful in return. They're not going to want to give up a lot of these things. And I think anti-tanking rules are something that should be explored. Um, I don't necessarily know if that's something that owners will want that either because uh, I don't think that that owners for the Pirates want to be told that they have to try to win. Um, but I do think that's something they'll get overruled by the other owners. There's a lot of changes that I expect to see in the CBA, and that's the one thing that makes me think that, uh, uh, that there's a possibility that this schedule gets pushed back especially knowing that for, for as bad as 2020 was, viewership for 2020 was still really, really good. So they kind of know, even if this goes into the season, the fan base is still going to be there. Even if they're angry, they're still going to show up. So that's one of the things that kind of worries me a little bit about that. So if you are an owner, let's say you're, you're, or you're a GM, do you try and lock things in now? Like, for sure. Let's... Yeah, so like if you're Alex, do you go ahead and you try and sign Freddie now, or do you do you try and wait to until you see what happens in the new CBA, or you you try and wheel and deal and make some trades now? I mean, I would try to do it as soon as possible. I think that I know there's this idea that that the person that waits gets all the savings. I don't find that to be true. The people that make the deals first are the ones that set the market. So. You getting to set the market means that people after you have to go by what you have already done previously. So if your goal is to get the best players on your team or to keep the best players off of your your direct opponents' teams, ideally your division opponents' teams, the best way to do that is to be aggressive early and set a price tag on these guys that are, that come in and are, are upgrades to teams. So I think if the Braves go out there and they make like let's just say they go six and one sixty five or six and one sixty eight for Freddie, for example. I think that sets the market for uh, the rest of the, the East trying to, to get anybody like, say, a Marcus Semien uh, or, or a Corey Seager or anybody of that kind of same tier as Freddie. You've seen the market set. Now, obviously, you're going to say, well, 
Freddie's a first baseman, so I deserve X amount. But the, the talking point will then turn into, okay, but are you this much better than Freddie? Freddie's a better offensive player who's done more, blah, blah, blah. Why are you worth this? But it just kind of it, it makes it harder to get these kind of savings deals uh, around the rest of the divisions and, and the rest of the leagues when you go out there and you set the market early. And I think that that's something that Alex, we haven't seen Alex do that. We've seen him kind of take both tacks where he'll, he'll do things very early uh, and then, uh, then he'll kind of do nothing for months and then he'll come in at the very end when you see who's left over. I think that's probably what we'll see again. You and I have made packs to not freak out about anything free agency related when it comes to Alex Anthopoulos uh, or to really expect a ton. Um, so I'm going to hold to that this year. I do think they'll get Freddie back, obviously, as for the rest of it. They could go any way and I would not be shocked. Yeah, I, you had mentioned six and one sixty-five or one sixty-eight. Is that is that your target for uh, for Freddie, or do you think he gets more than that? I would think six and one. Let me see. I don't think he gets to thirty. I think. Uh, I think if we're being real honest, I think twenty-eight is the number. Um, Twenty-seven, twenty-eight. I think that's the right move. Um, it's a little bit more. Than Goldschmidt and Freddie is a better player than Paul Goldschmidt. I do think that Freddie would be open to as long as the Braves don't lowball him. I think Freddie wants to be back here in Atlanta. Um, it's it's a pretty decent raise over what he's already been making, knowing that it'd take him into the tail end of his career and he'd be able to retire a Brave. And it's something that he could get that deal done, and the Braves could still have plenty of money to make sure that they can put great teams around him. And I think that's one of the things that. We don't really focus on when we talk about free agents uh, is the cap room to make sure that the team that you are signing with is able to stay in contention. Because for a lot of guys, if the different, if you're telling me I can make thirty million on a bad team or I can make twenty eight on a World Series contender, well, I'd sure I'd rather be on the World Series contending team. Now, there's some players that are just going to take the higher number period, but there are also many, many players that will take a little bit less, not significantly less but will take a little bit less to be in a better situation. And I think Freddie's one of those. He's made a lot of money in his career. He's going to make he's going to make a lot no matter where he signs this offseason. Uh, and I, I think 6 and 168 is is probably my number. I could see it a 7-year pact. I could see it I could see it as high as 30 to 31 million a season. I just don't think it's going to get there. I think that the the one of the biggest points of contention is going to be that what the back half of this contract looks like because now you know Freddie's in his he's probably a little past his prime, but he he's still in the he's still in his very good years. But I, I feel like he's thirty two, you know. And and speaking in terms of aging curves for players, that's usually when things start to drop off slightly, but not much. Um, but we talk a lot about Acuna and all these contracts, and towards the back end, Ronald is getting into your seventeen million, you know, which is for somebody that's that level of talent is still a steal, but it's it's a lot more than he's making now. And Ozzy, I think, tops out at like seven or eight million, which is an even bigger steal. But <clears throat> so towards the back end of what's gonna be Freddie's contract is when you're looking at kind of the the end of the Acuna and Albies contracts when they're they're expensive too. So what you don't want is to see like kind of a Washington National situation where you you know you have 120 million dollars tied up in like five players or something like that. Um, so I would not be surprised to find if payroll is going up this year, which Alex says it is, that he 
that Freddy's contract gets kind of front-loaded a little bit and then gradually tapers off and he's got some options on the tail end of the, of the back there. Um, I do feel like because of Freddy as a player, I, I feel like he is go, he's set up to age better than, um, than maybe some of his contemporaries. And even when you look at somebody like Joey Votto, you know, Votto, Votto hasn't really been himself um, over the past couple of years, but he really seemed to have rediscovered something in 2021 because he's, whether you love him or not, and Dylan, I know that, I know that you have had, have a complicated relationship with Joey Votto, but I love him. <laughs> And uh, great hitter, very, very comparable to Freddie, very cerebral. Um, and it, I, to me, I, what was it? It was Jim Bowden who said uh, his projection for Freddie was six years and $187 million. And And I'm so sorry. I Somebody tweeted me with, with that, and, and I cannot remember who it was. I'm so sorry. Um, and said, what do you think about this? And I said, for six and one eighty-seven, I would raise my eyebrows a little, but only a little. You know that—that's a lot. That's and it's—it's it's uncharacteristic of Alex to give out a deal like that, and it's probably more than Freddie would be worth over the course of six years. But for somebody like that, you have to consider the entire scope of his career. And at that I think point, that's the key. I think I really wouldn't be surprised at just about any number because it is a very—it's a—it's a unique situation. It's not. It's not a, any normal free agent. It's not even just a, a normal re-signing. It's one of the pillars of your organization. It's the the guy that took over for the guy. Like when you go through the annals of Braves, like you've got Hank Aaron, and then you've got Dale Murphy, and then you've got Chipper, and then you've got Freddie. Like that. That's why it's different. And the Braves kind of did this with Chipper. Chipper was always underpaid throughout his entire career. But they did give him a higher contract for his final one as, as kind of a thank you for, for what he'd been. And I could see something like that for Freddie, for sure. Now, it's a different GM and Alex, and who knows how Alex really wants to think. Um, but I do know that coming off, directly coming off of a World Series and with Freddie still playing at the top of his game, I think that, that you can kind of pencil in a, a little additional bonus for, for Freddie uh, for what he's been through and what he's been to this team and into this community, so I, I, I wouldn't be angry if it's you know thirty thirty one million. Yeah, it's probably not the best use of that money. You could you know you could trade a whole bunch of players and get Matt Olson and, and probably be better set up for the long run than you would be by giving you know by counting on Freddie in, in thirty six through thirty eight. But I'm not. I don't want to go that route because there are certain players that you don't want to see them ever put on a different uniform. Chipper was that type of player. And Freddie's that type of player where I don't real honestly I don't care what it takes. He I don't ever want to see him put on a uniform that doesn't have Braves across the front. Ne- neither do I. And <clears throat> one really important thing to point out here is that look, I know it's Freddie Freeman. I one of my favorite athletes of all time. Signing a 32-year-old first baseman to a 6-year contract is stupid. I don't care who it is. But if you're the Braves, you absolutely can make the case. If you're the Red Sox and you do it, then you're just being dumb. You know, you don't, you know what I mean? Like, sure. People now, don't sign. DH, adding the DH does make it a little bit trickier because now there's a whole lot of these other teams out there that are going to look at at Freddie's swing profile and be like, huh? You know, he carries power to the opposite field, and he actually, even though he pulls the ball a ton, he does look to inside out the ball a lot. So he's going to age well. You know, and even and even if he loses the athleticism, you know, we'll just move him to DH and he'll be fine. 
I think that does open the door for, for some of these other clubs. So I do think that that I, – I, I think you're right, though. I think that um, recent deals like the Pujols deal and the Miguel Cabrera deal will scare a lot of teams off from making long-term commitments. Um, I do think that there are some teams out there, though, who – like if you're Perry Manazian in L.A., you yeah. know what Freddie means to a clubhouse. Uh, you know that as long as Freddie doesn't crater the way that Albert Pujols did – then it's still going to be an upgrade from from what you were doing there. Now they do have Jared Walsh there, but Jared Walsh can clearly DH as well. They have Shohei Otani. They they have different ways to go about things, but you can clearly see that somebody like Perry, who spent a lot of time around around Freddie, I think that's somebody that would jump at the opportunity to offer Freddie a big contract. The question is, could he sell Freddie on be like, hey, I'm going to give you this amount, and Freddie being able to clearly see how many steps the Angels still have to take in order to be a, a good team. They essentially need an entire pitching staff and pretty much an entire bullpen. I know they gave a, a qualifying offer to Rice to the Glacius, which to me is kind of dumb. Um, yeah. I don't ever agree with paying a reliever $18 million. I don't care what reliever it is. I don't ever agree with paying a reliever that much money. And if Rice is smart, he'll accept that. Uh, if he's not smart, he'll decline it, and no one's going to want to give up a second-round pick to sign uh, a bullpen piece. Uh, they're, they're just too fickle. And that's just kind of how it goes. But if you're if you're Freddie, I think winning means a lot to Freddie. I think he has he's at his he's at his best when he's having the most fun, and he's having the most fun when he's winning games. So I do think that Freddie's a little bit different from some of these other like your Alex Rodriguez's of the world who are just looking for the highest payday, or uh, reportedly Carlos Correa who who wants to make a statement with his contract. I think Freddie just wants to be fairly compensated. That's it. He just wants to feel like he's not getting ripped off. And I think as long as Alex can do that and at least come close to matching what anybody else is going to give, then I think Freddie's here for, for the entirety of his career. I think so, too. And to go back to your number of 6 and 165, if he did that, then his first contract was 8 years and 135. So all things considered, you're looking at 14 years, $300 million. And in the aggregate, that's still kind of a steal. You know, it took Freddie a couple years to figure out the exact type of player that he was supposed to be and become it. It was probably 20, was it 2016 that was his first monster year? I think it was 2016. I think, I he, think it was 2017 or 2018 before I would say that Freddie really came into his own when he added the power aspect. Before he was mm-hmm. old, like early, early in his career, it was, he had power, but it was gap power. It was line drive based. And then, then you started to see as he got a little bit older and started figuring out how to fine-tune his swing. 2016, he had 34 homers. And then he didn't yeah, okay. get over 30 again until 2019. Uh, and I, Now, I do think part of that, obviously, you can say is um, who was directly around him in the batting order, because for people that say that protection isn't real, uh, if you take a look at 2017 Freddie all the way through 2021 Freddie, you'll notice his walk rates and his strikeout rates are almost exactly the same. And things that start to change are the number of home runs, which is directly reflective of what types of pitch you're getting in the zone. Uh, a lot of his other numbers are pretty much exactly the same. He's an incredibly consistent hitter. Uh, offensive war from 2017 onward is all right around the same. 33-3, 32-3, 34-28-5, 34-4. And you can say, yeah, he's still performing WRC plus-wise as he is in all those other years. You're just not seeing the home runs. That's a direct function of what types of pitches you're getting. Even if you put the same swing on a ball, if somebody grooves a fastball belt high down the middle of the plate because you've got Jorge Soler or Josh Donaldson or you know he who must not be named right behind you versus Nick Markakis, 
uh, you're a lot more likely to get a pitch grouped. Freddie's just an incredible hitter, so if you give him something that he can put a bat on anyway, there's a good likelihood he's going to hit it for a double no matter what. Um, but if you've got somebody that you really have to worry about behind him, now all of a sudden maybe you groove a pitch that you weren't trying that that you would have just pitched around him to the time before. That's where the protection aspect comes into it. So I think I think that's certainly something to to take into consideration with Freddie. Is it's, it took him a little while to really blossom. I don't know if I call him a late bloomer, but he certainly wasn't quick to become who he is. Freddie has had quite a bit of change to his player profile over the past four or five years or so versus what he was where he was. Do you remember when James Loney was actually really good? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's kind of who Freddie was like, uh, where he was this guy that, that didn't have the premium first base power but was just a good hitter and could pick it with the best of them at first base. Uh, and then he really started to tone his body up and started to maximize what he could do. And then the power jumped. When the team all of a sudden needed Freddie to, to take over and be the power guy and be the guy, all of a sudden he just transformed from a really, really good, but probably the Hall of Very Good type of player to really a Hall of Fame trajectory. Oh, he he is most assuredly a Hall of Famer for me. Look, I, he's coming back. I I just I don't I don't see anybody else being willing to give him all of the things that he wants. Maybe somebody right. else can could give him more money, but they can't give him the same opportunity to win like this. If the Braves hadn't won the World Series, I might think that the the percentages of of him leaving would be higher because he would still be chasing his title. But he just wanted like. It could not have come together better for Freddie in terms of wanting to bring him back because, you know, the fan base would have been in a position to show him a lot of love, even if the team sucked, to keep to keep him from leaving. But chanting his name after the NLDS homer, him catching the final out for the NLCS, and being the spearhead of that celebration, and the same thing for the World Series. It had to be Freddie that caught that ball, you know, both times. And... He's he's just such an icon. He's not going anywhere. There's no way. I, I just I don't see any scenario during which he leaves. But here here is the question: If we think Freddie's coming back, he is obviously the most crucial piece. Who else needs to come back? Or do you th- like you look at the four outfielders? You're the five guys that we got at the trade deadline. We know that Rodriguez is coming back. Soler, Peterson, Duvall, and Rosario. What do you do there? Or do you just go in a completely different direction? This is where it's good to be the Atlanta Braves because, really, Freddie Freeman aside, the Braves can go in any direction because they have such a young core and they're all locked up. The Braves could really... They're, they're in that Dodgers position where they can... They, all they, like if they add, it's purely to, to improve. Like You're already improving upon something that was already pretty good. Uh, take their worst positional starter, whoever that may be, whoever you decide that may be, and if you bring that person back you're still bringing back somebody that helped you win a World Series. If you upgrade from that person, then it's an upgrade. It's a clear upgrade. Uh, the days of doing marginal pieces is, is, are gone. Uh, and I think if you're asking me from the outfielders, I think Solaire is clearly a guy. And I think Solaire is probably going to be a little bit harder to bring back than a lot of people expect, especially if the, if the DH does get put into the National League. Somebody is going to give him a three- or four-year deal. Um, now, if you look at the overall numbers from last year, then you'd be like, all right, cool, then you should be able to get him pretty cheaply. And Solaire is a guy that maybe you do because the floor is pretty low on Solaire. It kind of depends on, on which Jorge Solaire is going to show up. 
I think that he's the guy that Alex is going to try hardest to bring back because he fits what he wants in the lineup. Basically completely replaces Marcelo Zuna pretty much right down the middle. Um, same exact thing. He's going to be very consistent with his walk rates, consistent with his K rates. Uh, I think Soler is actually a little bit more consistent than Ozuna was. Ozuna at his highs is better than Soler. Uh, I'm not going to lie, just because Ozuna's a bad person doesn't mean that he's not a good baseball player. He's a very good baseball player, very good hitter in general. Uh, Soler is very similar in that respect. You don't want either playing in the field, uh, but Soler, I think, is a little bit more consistent offensively, uh, especially with his OVP and his walk rates. Now, I think Eddie Rosario is one that I personally would love to bring back, but this is kind of my area of contention here, is if Rosario gets to be, you know, $12 million-ish, do I want to do that, or do I want to go for somebody that I, somebody like Michael Conforto, who, yeah, that's going to cost you a second-round pick, but Michael Conforto is a guy that when he's right, and really, for my personal belief, as soon as you get him out of New York, blossoms. And Conforto's another one of those guys that you and I have been talking about for years, about getting him into Truist and letting him hit off of that porch and just get him out of City Field and away from that organization and let the man eat where he's not having to play center field for significant swaths of the season, where he can go back to being a good defender. And here he'd be playing left field. Wouldn't even have to worry about him in right field. Um, and if you, you know, if that's, if, if Conforto is, let's say, $17 million, uh, versus Rosario's 12 to 13 Conforto's a better bet over the long run to replicate. Because I don't, I don't think Eddie's going to replicate what he did, but I would certainly tender Eddie. Now, if you go that route, if you decide to add a piece like a Conforto, then Duvall becomes a bigger deal. Uh, because now Duvall has center field, uh, and if you don't, you know, if you don't think Pache is 100% ready, you want somebody who can go and patrol center. And I don't think they want Ronald in center, particularly coming off an ACL, but but just generally don't want him in, in center field at all. Uh, so you have Duvall who can clearly play center field and play it pretty decently. Uh, Jock, I think, is the one that's pretty much assured that he's gone. Jock does not like being a platoon player. He does not like being a bench player. Jock wants to start. So Jock is the type of guy that I would see going out to the Angels, for example where he almost got traded to anyway in a deal that I think the Dodgers are really happy got struck down because they would have also been giving, basically just giving Andy Pages to to the Angels. Uh, so I, th- I think that Jock is clearly gone. You can take him out of this. I think it comes down to Soler, Rosario, and Duvall. And I think Soler is clearly the one that they would prefer to bring back the most. And then when you're talking about Rosario and Duvall... It depends on what else Alex has planned for this outfield. And I think we'll know by whichever one of those guys signs first. Almost like the... Do you remember uh, when, when the Braves were trying, to, were trying to re-sign Tyler Flowers and Kurt Suzuki? And they offered both of them the same deal. And then it was whoever accepts it first is the guy that gets the deal. I think you could see similar between Rosario and Duvall. You know... I, I agree with you about Jock. I think he was a single-serving situation, and, and I, I truthfully don't know. The Braves do not make it to the World Series without him, uh, but you know, some, sometimes you uh, sometimes you just got to hit it and quit it. Yeah, but he was and, here for you know, Yeah, exactly, and and that's fine. And it's a, it's the funniest thing is that uh, you know it was like just. What a great hookup it was for you know for that short little time, and then you go your separate ways, and you always remember, uh, always remember that hookup fondly. But I mean, truthfully, I wouldn't be surprised to find that none of them come back. Yeah, Eddie Rosario. Look, the reason all these guys were available at the trade deadline is because they were having terrible seasons. Um, 
Duval was having the best one, but even if you remember how his season started, it was just uneven. And he was people really talk just about Alex. the Braves though, offensively. Like his entire season yeah. was essentially like you'd see his hot streaks and it was when he played the Braves. Yeah, absolutely. And people talk a lot about Alex Anthopoulos. What a great trade deadline. Correct. And do you know why it was such a great trade trade deadline? It all worked. Because he got lucky. Exactly. Yeah, it worked. Every deal worked. But he out, got except for one. Nobody's yeah, and nobody's acknowledging the fact that, yeah, they were all really good deals, but he also got lucky, okay? That never happens again. And people are going to anecdotalize what he did at the 2021 season and say, man, it, we just did what the Braves did in 2021. We added four outfielders at the deadline, and they sucked. Where did we go wrong? You were unlucky. That's where you went wrong. So just because these guys were great for us in the playoffs, look, somebody's going to give Eddie Rosario more money than he deserves because of what they saw in the NLCS. And... Granted, you don't just scout the stat scout the stat line, but he made eight million dollars coming into last year. He's got some track record, he's gonna make some money. Solaire, when he got to Atlanta, he showed that he can turn it on. Two years ago in Kansas City, he showed what he's capable of doing. Sometimes you gotta take the gamble. For, if I'm Colorado, I give Jorge Solaire all of the money. I think three you know, thirty three is a pretty decent baseline to expect for Solaire. Whether, I think whether so. or not there's a DH, I think that 3-33, and 3-35, and 35, if there is a DH, I think that's something that's that's very doable. And I don't know I don't know how Alex views that. That's one of those deals where you tell me that we take that deal, I'm perfectly fine with it because the upside's there. If you tell me that we turn it down, I'm okay with that too because, all right, I can allocate that $35 million, or I can allocate that, that 11 to, to $13 million elsewhere and, and find another DH. DH is an easy position to find. Right, and and the this trade deadline also shows you that like if you if you have multiple holes to fill, if you are willing to be aggressive and take on money, like I I personally think that this team is going to be supplemented more by trade, uh, this in for the twenty twenty two team. That's a very more so than any team just brought up. Yeah, I I think that that's probably going to be where more of the more of the transactions come. We've all been waiting for that big trade for years, so I don't know if it's going to be like some massive bowl me over type transaction, but it kind of now does seem it, you know, and and I I don't want to set anybody up and say, Oh my God, guys in the platinum's borough said Alex Anthopoulos is going to trade prospects for Brian Reynolds or whatever. But you know, I did say that, but I don't want you to hear me saying that. I'm just saying, I told you guys last year, that I was no longer going to predict big trades for the Braves, so I'm going to stick to that. I'm not going to predict it. But I will say this. If the Braves want to, they were talking to two, or talking about acquiring two gigantically talented pieces at this deadline that just fell through at the back end because of the asking price. Brian Reynolds and Byron Buxton. The Braves have already reportedly discussed going after Buxton again this offseason, and I will guarantee you they revisit the Brian Reynolds discussion. The Braves are in that Dodgers position where you have the major league ready pieces to pay big time in a deal for that if you feel that that player gives you a substantial bump for the next five years or so. And Reynolds and Buxton, if Buxton can stay healthy, both do that. Now, I'm not giving giving the same level of deal for Buxton that I'm giving for Reynolds because Buxton is never healthy, period. So I already know that I'm not counting on that. And in either one of those deals, Christian Pache is gone. Uh, so I need somebody that I know for sure is going to be on the field. Now, Buxton is kind of – Buxton is what we hope that Pache is, other than you know just healthy. 
healthier Buxton. That's what you hope Pache is. That's the type of defender he is. That's the type. Buxton is faster, um, but that's it's similar to that type of speed game. But whereas Buxton is is one of the preeminent fielders and one of the fastest players in baseball, Pache has a way better arm. And I mean, you can put Pache's arm up against anybody in baseball, and Pache's is way better. The accuracy and the power is just unmatched. Um, the offense is the question. It took Buxton a while to become an offensive force, and it's easy to forget Pache's still only 22 years old. So I think that he's gone in either one of those deals. Reynolds is my personal favorite. You guys know that. Um, and I'm not going to tell you what I think that trade costs because I don't want people to instantly turn us up or turn us off, but I will say it would cost a piece that a lot of Braves country would be furious about losing. Uh, we'll, we'll see how Alex approaches it. This is why I, I'm not, however this offseason turns out, with the exception of Freddie, I'm not really worried. There's so many different avenues the Braves can go. And there, there's a lot of under-the-radar guys that can make a big part of this season. And as we're coming to the end part of this show here today, I kind of wanted to talk about a few of these guys. And Doc and I talked before the show, and there were a couple guys that, that he and I both had on this list of, of pieces that are under the radar. So I'm not talking about Freddie Freeman. I'm not talking about like Marcus Semyon or Carlos Correa or Corey Seager or any of the marquee guys. I'm talking about under the radar guys. And the first one I'll start off with is, is one of the guys that you and I both have on the list. And that would be Steven Matz. So Matz should be very familiar to everybody from his time with New York, but he was much better with the Blue Jays. Sorry, I just cut you off. Go ahead. No, you're good. I was, I was actually trying to throw it to you. That was my mistake. Matz is one of these guys that, if you're telling me he's a number five, he's a veteran guy in there, lefty on the mound, blah, blah, blah. But we, we did see this year, you always need pitching depth because people are always getting hurt or it's just ineffective. It's hard to count on young guys when you are – a, a World Series contender. You need guys that are going to be consistent. And Matt's, in the AL East, by the way, uh, really pitched very, very well. Seemed to get the depth on his sinker back, got his velocity back, kind of got the off-speed and got the command kind of dialed back in to being a good pitcher. I don't know that he carries it over, but if you're talking about Alex's annual starting pitcher one-year deal, I think Verlander's the name that a lot of people are going to look at. I don't really have any... I don't really want Verlander until I know that he can pitch without having spider tack uh, because Garrett Cole learned it from somewhere, folks, and it wasn't Pittsburgh. Um, I, I would like to uh, – I, I wouldn't mind seeing Matt. Um, I think the next name is a little bit more – is more my speed. This is somebody that we didn't talk about, uh, Ryan Tapera. We did talk about him during the season, but that's one of these right-handed relievers who's very, very good and very underrated. Was really was very good for the Cubs and was also very good for the White Sox, despite not getting any setup opportunities. So that's one of those guys you're talking about, Chris Martin coming off the books. I think you could plug almost that exact same deal to Ryan Tapera and get him signed. And Tapera is a really, really talented arm. Absolutely, and he also he got some MVP votes a couple years ago. Now the the White Sox, the way that they kind of architected their bullpen, he was kind of the kind of the odd man out there for for a little bit because you had Hendricks, you had Kimbrel, and uh, you know Tapera has been a very quiet performer over the past couple of years. He, he there there's going to be some spots in this bullpen. I'm curious to know what they do with some of the. It, it, we thought they were going to use Tukey as a bullpen guy this year. Is 2022 finally the time? You know how are they going to going to arrange it? Alex has proven over the past couple of years that particularly with the bullpen, but he kind of does it with the roster in general, is that he seems content to kind of roll with good enough until the trade deadline, and that's when he makes, like, the big acquisitions. You know what I mean? He never goes 
fully ham in the offseason. He actually did it backwards in 2020 where he tried to tried to front load the roster and then didn't do anything at the trade deadline. That was just kind of a weird year to begin with. So um, one of the guys that I wanted to bring up was somebody that that you had brought up multiple times. And I think that there could be a, a lot of um, – there's a lot of good pieces that are in Oakland right now. And with Bob Melvin leaving and he's going to San Diego and it's looking like the A's are going to reduce payroll. So they got guys like Chris Bassett, Frankie Montes, and Sean Manaya who – you know, the Braves are in a really good position. that They don't have to go huge on a lot of free agents, a lot of trades. They have a lot of really, really good pieces. So, yeah, you were talking about, like, signing Mats as a four or a five to basically be the Drew Smiley role. Uh, for me, I'm looking at somebody like Mark Canna. He's a he's a free agent, and even coming off a down year, he was 2.6 war. He's somebody that he had 17 home runs in 141 games last year, but he did it in Oakland, and that's kind of that's a really cavernous ballpark. Uh like I said, down year, he had 231, 358 OBP, and a 387 slugging. Uh, but in previous years, <clears throat> you know, he had 26 home runs in 2019. Like he's he's much better than last year would tell you. Um, best case scenario, you know, he's going to be somebody that's going to give you between three and four WAR in uh, in one of his regular years. He's not a particularly old guy. He doesn't have a quality. He's uh, 32. But he's also not the type of guy that's going to command like a five or six year deal. You could probably get somebody like Canna for three and thirty five. You know, I'm a big and, fan uh, of Canna, by the way. I've talked about him for a number of years. He's one of these high OBP guys. That's actually a pretty good defender. Uh, last year was was just looking at his numbers was one of his unluckiest seasons. It was his lowest BABIP since 2017, uh, and actually the lowest ISO he's ever had as a professional ball player. Um, he's, he's a guy that's very good. Takes a lot double digit walks. Strikes out. Very, I would say less than what you would think. And he has experience in all three outfield spots. So I'd, I'd call him, I'd say he's very similar to Duvall. More of, of a consistent Adam Duvall. An Adam Duvall that, that can actually take walks. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's a that's a really good way to put it. And because you've got Acuna because, coming back, you know, there, there's still, you know, you don't have to fill all three outfield spots. Pache after given the time to stay in AAA and have a full season and get comfortable down there, similar to Kyle Wright. You know, you can't be too sure how all of the time and the end, um, having a year where you're comfortable and not being yo-yoed or seesawed back and forth, um, I think it can be really good mentally. So Pache, yeah, I, did he even, he didn't even get an at-bat in the postseason, nope. I don't think. I know he played some yeah, defense. Yeah, did not but. get an at-bat. I didn't really think he got, well, he got into two games in the postseason, uh, and that was it. Yeah, so I mean, it's hard to tell how how meaningful that progress was, but um, you know, Pache could still be in center, in which case you could put Kana in left. Uh, if they're able to bring back any of the any of the guys that they got at the trade deadline this year, then you know, you obviously this trade deadline paints the picture of of knowing you need to have adequate depth. And somebody like Canna is somebody like Alex never really goes for like the super sexy move. You know, like a lot of us were kind of scratching our head at some of the trade deadline things. And now it's like, Oh, okay. Well, um, that wound up being pretty lucky. So, so you can never, never be too sure. And not to mention, look, we're the world series champions. You know, we, if Liberty is willing to spend, then we could probably have our pick of the litter. And we don't need to go get Carlos Correa. We don't need Corey Seager or Marcus Simeon. You know, would it be nice to get a Scherzer? Sure. But you could probably go get somebody like Carlos Radon. And, you know, Scherzer's 37. And Radon's got, yeah, he's got some injury history. But, I mean, 
So what pitcher doesn't? <laughs> I mean, the Braves have a lot of starting you know, pitching depth, so that's something that the Braves would be able to afford, giving him days off here and there uh, and, and keeping him healthy. That's that's certainly possible. There's a, there's a, Actually, there's a lot of guys that would fit this team. Too many to list in today's episode, so that's going to be kind of a theme. We're saving some off-season content that we're going to be able to talk about. Uh, and, and with that off-season content, before we go today, just to let you all know, we will start our off-season schedule of episodes uh, after following this week. So look for it to be every other week rather than every single week being released. Uh, obviously, if there's big news, we'll, we'll do one. If the Braves do a big signing, we will do that. Um, before we go, though, really quick, uh, really cool and shout-out to ABT for being able to come back yeah. to do a World Series reunion episode. Uh, they The longest-running Braves podcast um, went through all of the garbage time. Uh, they called it quits. Uh, had them, or we, we went on their show, one of their final ones. Uh, and uh, shout out to those guys, man, for, for getting to record a World Series episode. It's been four years for us, and even that felt like a long time. Uh, those guys were, what, 13, 14 years? 14 years. Yeah. Unbelievable. Big shout out to all of them. Uh, it was really cool to get to see that. And uh, for everybody who's ever said they were too negative, well, they sure as heck weren't in that episode. Uh, that was the culmination of a lot of demons being beaten out of them. So congrats to you fellas. Uh, and congrats, you know, to the new shows. Uh, eh, you know, whatever. You didn't have to go through the same <laughs> rigmarole. You've only been here when the Braves were good. Whatever. Uh, looking at you, chatting average. Um, but, you know, whatever. But again. Stepping right in into a season where you where you win your first playoff series in, in 20 yeah, years, 19 you, years. You don't, you don't know our Lucky. pain, but whatever. Uh, but, but good job on the ABT guys. And, uh, Look, dude, a- ABT used to talk about Scott Proctor on their show. Okay, anybody who who did that just gets infinite amounts of respect. They, they were they were covering the Alberto Cayaspo seasons. So yeah, good on them. Uh, congratulations to those guys. It was a long time coming. So I know they had a lot of fun with that. So uh, to everybody out to everybody else out there, hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Uh, it'll probably be a couple weeks before we're back, unless Alex surprises us and makes a big time move with say Freddie Freeman in the next couple of days. So thank you guys. We'll be back a little bit later, right here. On the platinum sombrero. Oh, two on the way. Chopper out to Dansby. Dansby throws to first base. Is this happening? It is. The Atlanta Braves are world champions. Thanks, bye.